a good reporter For the six o'clock news We need a good reporter Who's gonna get us the truth Who's controlling the information that we get The media is the opiate for the people making us forget What our nation went through back there in Vietnam Could be protesting instead of watching our favorite sitcom We need a good reporter Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this 22nd day of February, 2009. I'd like to remind my listeners, as always, to check into the websites CorbettReport.com and AlQaedaDoesn'tExist.com, where you can find previous episodes of this podcast, as well as interviews, articles, and videos conducted and created by the Corbett Report in the past, and also stay up to date with our documentary, Al-Qaeda Doesn't Exist. This week I'd also like to give a special mention to those callers who have used our voicemail call-in line to leave encouraging feedback. Once again, that number is 512-553-0297, and that's a local Texas phone number, and I realize that's not a toll-free number, so people outside of that calling area actually have to spend money to leave a voicemail message for us. So I want to give extra special thanks to all of those listeners who have so far utilized the voicemail call-in line to leave encouraging feedback, and I'd like to let you know that it is greatly appreciated. And now, without further ado, let's get to today's real news. Today's first real news story comes to us from Infowars.com, February 21st, 2009. Iowa National Guard rolls back Arcadia invasion. According to Drew Zahn, writing for WorldNet Daily, the Iowa National Guard has scaled back its training exercise planned for April in Arcadia, Iowa, population 443. Military spokesman Lieutenant Colonel Greg Hapgood told Zahn and WND that the operation has now been scaled back and no longer involves an invasion of Arcadia. And while Hapgood confirmed the Guard had been inundated with objections from citizens concerned about soldiers patrolling the streets of an American town, he said most came from people out of state and unfamiliar with the operation. Iowans, he explained, typically cooperate with the Guard. The change in plans was based on troop evaluation, he said, not public outcry. On Friday, Alex Jones dedicated a large portion of his radio show to talking about the National Guard invasion of the small Iowa town. An undetermined number of listeners responded by contacting officials, including the National Guard, demanding the exercise be called off. Callers to the show indicated they would go to Arcadia in April and protest against the four-day urban military operation, described by the National Guard as a mock scenario designed to give soldiers the skills needed for deployment in an urban environment. Part of the invasion included searching houses. Alex Jones also announced he planned to travel to Arcadia and protest the operation. Higher headquarters leadership, Hapgood told WND, 
given the unit's status of training proficiency, made a decision to scale back the exercise. It is fair to say Alex Jones and his audience are responsible in large part for the scaled-back plans. In predictable fashion, the corporate media ignored the story and instead concentrated on frivolous topics such as octuplet mother Nadia Suleiman and a supposed racist cartoon published in the New York Post. Today's second real news story comes from cbcnews.ca, February 18th, 2009. CRTC, Music Groups, Battle Over Internet CanCon Proposal. Introducing Canadian content regulations for radio helped strengthen Canada's domestic music industry, and the same could be done for the country's new media creative community, according to groups speaking at the CRTC's new media hearing on Wednesday. Representatives from the Canadian Independent Record Production Association and the Society of Composers, Authors, and Music Publishers of Canada echoed Tuesday's appeal by other creative groups that the federal broadcast regulator should step in and begin regulating Internet and new media. We don't suggest you put up a wall barring foreign content, Serpa Chair and True North Records founder Bernie Finkelstein urged CRTC commissioners. We suggest you help us and make our home market healthy for Canadians. We know that it's worked in the past. SOCAN, which counts composers, lyricists, songwriters, and music publishers among its more than 25,000 strong membership, urged the CRTC to adopt a new media policy that blends incentive and regulation. Our final real news story today comes from the Mail Online the 10th of February, 2009. We're raising GM goats to make human breast milk, say Russians. Scientists are genetically engineering goats to produce the same milk as a human mother. They claim the breakthrough will allow babies whose mothers can't feed them to receive all the goodness of breast milk. Researchers behind the experiments reject fears of Dr. Frankenstein-style tinkering with nature. They say their work will also lead to the development of medicines exploiting the antibiotic qualities of lactoferrin, a protein found in women's milk. The revelations follow research by scientists in Russia and Belarus in which male mice were implanted with human genes. This led to surprising amounts of lactoferrin being produced in their female offspring. 160 grams per liter of milk, said the project's chief, Dr. Elena Sajikova. Researchers then switched to goats to obtain much larger quantities of lactoferrin. Now, 90 females sired by GM male goats are being raised on a secret farm outside Moscow. They believe that from later this year, when the goats mature, they will obtain larger amounts of lactoferrin than found naturally in human breast milk. Igor Goldman head of the Transgene Bank at the Russian Academy of Sciences, said human lactoferrin is a natural antibiotic, and it provides babies who don't have their own developed immune system. He dismissed complaints about genetic engineering. In this case, genetically modified milk is a drug, not a food. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to episode 75 of the Corbett Report, The New Media. 
Indeed, there is a new media rising to displace the old corporate-controlled media paradigm. But, as with all such descriptions, which are broadly understood by many people in different ways, it's important to interrogate our terms and come to an understanding of what it is we mean when we say the new media is rising to displace the corporate-controlled media paradigm. Of course, listeners of the Corbett Report podcast will have heard me use the term corporate-controlled media on many occasions, as I think it's more expressive of the true corporate control of the information we're receiving on a daily basis than terms such as mainstream media. But even a more descriptive term like corporate-controlled media, when used in an unthinking sense, can be equally vague and obscure some of the real connections that exist in the old media paradigm between the powers that be and the news that comes out about those powers. In order to get a better sense, then, of what the corporate-controlled media really entails and what that paradigm really is, let's listen to a clip from an excellent video that's available on YouTube under the title, The CFR Controls American Media. The year is 1917, and Representative Oscar Calloway enters a disturbing statement into the U.S. congressional record. The statement reveals why J.P. Morgan interests hired 12 high-ranking news managers. The 12 were asked to determine the most influential newspapers in America. They were to figure out how many news organizations it would take to control generally the policy of the daily press of the United States. The 12 found it was only necessary to purchase the control of 25 of the greatest papers. An agreement was reached. The policy of the papers was bought and an editor was placed at each paper to ensure that all published information was in keeping with the new policy. Soon, that policy would be defined by a front group formed by J.P. Morgan and his colleagues. In fact, Morgan's personal attorney was founding president of the organization, the Council on Foreign Relations. Today the CFR maintains that its goal is to increase America's understanding of the world. However, the actual objective of this highly exclusive club is revealed by the rare admissions of the insiders themselves. In the early 60s, a Georgetown University professor collects information for a book favorable to the network of powerful men who founded the CFR. For two years, Professor Carol Quigley is allowed to examine the confidential papers and secret records of this network. Quigley reveals that these men aim to create a world system of financial control in private hands able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. In short, they seek total and quiet control of the entire world. And the CFR is their most visible conduit for carrying out that agenda. CFR members include America's wealthiest tycoons, as well as the highly placed elite in government, academic institutions, tax-exempt foundations, 
and the establishment media. Ruling Class Journalists, written by Richard Harwood, describes the CFR membership as the ruling establishment in the United States. The Washington Post article boasted that news reporters who are CFR members do not merely analyze and interpret foreign policy for the United States, they help make it. Who are these policymakers? Many of their faces are familiar. NBC's Tom Brokaw, CBS's Dan Rather, ABC's Barbara Walters, Jim Lehrer of PBS, William F. Buckley of National Review, media mogul Rupert Murdoch, owner of the giant multifaceted News Corporation. These media heavyweights, and many others like them, are members of the CFR. Powerful corporations are also invited to become members. At the close of the 20th century, CFR influence presided over far-reaching consolidations of media control. In 1995, CFR members Michael Eisner of Disney and ABC's Thomas Murphy merged their media empires. Soon after the merger, the Disney-ABC empire becomes a CFR corporate member. In the year 2000, the world's largest internet service provider, America Online, joins forces with Time Warner, one of the world's largest news organizations. The CEOs favoring the move are CNN's Thomas Johnson and Time Warner's Gerald Levin, both CFR members. Once again, another media giant is created under the shadow of CFR influence. Today, an elite handful of individuals define the agendas that are supported by the empire of establishment news. Once again, I'd like to remind my listeners that, of course, you can find links to all of the documents cited in today's episode, including that video, by clicking on the Episodes tab on the homepage, corporatereport.com, finding today's episode, and clicking the Documentation link. There you'll find a list of all of the documents cited in today's episode, organized by Time Index, and, of course, as I say, a link to that video. I think it's important that listeners try to spread that video around, as I think it's probably the best four-and-a-half-minute synopsis of the old corporate-controlled media paradigm that you're likely to find. Again, that goes some way towards fleshing out the idea of the corporate-controlled media, insofar as it shows that corporate control means not only the individual corporations that control the media, but also the associations that the heads of those corporations belong to, and in this case, the CFR, the American version of the roundtable group set up by Cecil Rhodes in one of his lesser-known wills, and an organization that was uncovered by Georgetown political science professor Carol Quigley, who was name-checked by Bill Clinton when he received the Democratic nomination for the presidency back in 1992. Again, I'd like to stress that it's not simply the CFR, it's an even larger international organization, of which the CFR is the American branch. So to get a better understanding of that organization, I encourage my listeners to check out episode 58 of the Corbett Report, Meet Carol Quigley. But as I say, I think that goes some way towards establishing what it is we mean when we talk about corporate control over the media. And I think it's self-evident how such extremely centralized control over the media can only inevitably result in corruption and power influence peddling. 
Of course, it's a truism that the absolute backbone of any healthy, burgeoning democracy, or better yet, constitutional republic like the United States really is, is a healthy, functioning, independent news media. Without independent journalists holding those in power accountable and speaking truth to power, tyranny is the inevitable result. It's here, of course, that the new media paradigm comes into play. And once again, it helps to try to define what it is we mean when we say the new media paradigm. I think an indication of what that might be can be garnered from this article from Examiner.com, which came out this week on February 18th. Will citizen journalists be the next Woodward and Bernstein? Quote, Journalists Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein are famous for their reporting that exposed the corruption in the office of former President Richard Nixon. It began with the report in the Washington Post about the break-in at the Democratic National Committee and ended up being one of the biggest political stories in 20th century American politics. Today, the likes of Woodward and Bernstein are being replaced by citizen journalists who have no professional training but know how to use them tools of modern technology. They use the internet for research, fact-checking, or verifying, and are becoming the bane of 21st century politicians. Information is spread across the internet in seconds, going from blog to blog, without being censored by an editor who may not agree with their point of view. At one time, there was a bias against using the term global warming if it did not agree with the newspaper's view, and the term climate change was used instead. The citizen journalists took it out of the hands of publishers and used the words as they wished. Once it was thought that mainstream media reporters and producers were the exclusive center of knowledge on a subject, but because of the internet, the audience collectively may know more about it. Now the established media is inviting citizen journalists to post to their websites in the way of comments or have created blogs where information can be exchanged. End quote. Obviously, I disagree with this article in certain important respects. Of course, the climate change, global warming rhetoric that seems to be thrown in there, as well as the idea that the establishment media inviting citizen journalists to participate in their websites by leaving comments on their blogs is somehow some sort of victory for the grassroots new media movement. No, I think when I talk about the new media, I mean something different entirely, something that's much more participatory and dependent on the activists and citizen journalists who really are defining the news these days. So in order to come to a better understanding of this new media paradigm, today I'd like to highlight the work of some of the important new media journalists who are working tirelessly to bring the real news to the people, free of corporate control and influence. So let's start by listening to an extract from an interview that I conducted this week with James Evan Pilato, the host of the Media Monarchy radio broadcast and a webmaster of MediaMonarchy.com. The Media Monarchy radio broadcast, also of course available as a podcast, is an incredible source of news and information. And although I consider myself something of a news junkie, I always, always encounter news stories that I had never heard about when I listened to this podcast. So it's one that I do genuinely recommend to my listeners. And of course, you can access it at MediaMonarchy.com. On that website, you'll also find thoroughly researched news stories that are placed in their proper context. 
I think one of the powers of the new media paradigm is that unlike the establishment media, new media run by citizen journalists often links to the original sources of material. So, for example, when MediaMonarchy.com reports on a new government white paper or a think tank report, it actually links to the original report, as well as numerous other stories from the past which puts those reports in their proper context. Again, MediaMonarchy.com is an excellent source of information that I highly recommend to my listeners. But right now, let's take a listen to part of the interview that I conducted with James Evan Pilato, so we can find out more on his take about the new media paradigm and the importance of websites like MediaMonarchy.com. Well, why don't you describe your site and your show for those who may not have heard or encountered it before? MediaMonarchy.com started as a website that something, you know, initially I was just posting maybe a few times a week initially when I started appropriately enough on September 11th, 2005 is basically the official launch point for MediaMonarchy.com. And in the beginning, I didn't quite have a, a focus for it and found myself kind of floundering, and that's why I maybe didn't post very much to it. What happened was I actually moved from West Virginia to Oregon, and when I found myself in Oregon for a while without any friends so much and couldn't find work, I ended up spending a lot more time on the website. So being able to spend more time, of course, posted more to it, started to get more traffic, started to get more feedback. When I was able to get steady work, that's what let me start the radio show. I found myself, I couldn't really spend time volunteering you know, at, at some of the local radio stations when I wasn't even making any money. But the moment I got a, a job, then I knew I could start doing a radio show. So I contacted a local, at the time, pirate radio station called the Portland Radio Authority. And they were initially doing a, an LPFM or low-power FM broadcast here in Portland, Oregon. They started to become more popular, and the Oregonian, the paper of record here in Oregon, wanted to do a story about them. And they said, yes, of course, you know, we love the attention, just don't say where we are. Of course, the interview and the article came out, and it more or less pinpointed where they were. A couple of days later, the FCC showed up at their location with a cease and desist order. What happened then was they, of course, stopped the LPFM signal and just went online. At that point, a lot of people quit, and I think a lot of people quit either because it lost its outlaw appeal because it wasn't illegal anymore, and maybe a lot of people didn't want to do it if it was just on the Internet. So that opened up a lot of slots at Portland Radio Authority, and I hopped right on and started to do my show in October of 2006, and now... Coming up this weekend will be episode 112. So it's it's all been done pretty much by myself. It's a one-man band. So I feel like it has been growing at just the right pace for me to be able to, to take care of it myself. Excellent. Well, that's, uh, that's a very informative story in a number of different respects. But um, today on the Corbett Report, we're discussing the idea of the new media which is obviously a term that's open to interpretation. But, of course, uh, you use the term media in the name Media Monarchy, which I think is a great name, by the way. So why don't you tell us about the nature and, and the impotence behind using that name to describe what you're doing? I have to give credit to my girlfriend. She coined the name Media Monarchy long before the website or the radio show were around. 
we were always between my girlfriend and also friends that I used to play music with and do media with. We were always just kind of thinking of cool names, either for bands or for websites. So Media Monica was a name that I had just written down. And as the website sort of began, it just was the sort of light bulb about, oh, Media Monarchy would be a great name for this because it has monarchy with the sort of governmental control feel to it and media. So it's perhaps a kind of tongue-in-cheek title. You could think of Media Monarchy as a very bad thing, or you could look at a Media Monarchy as a great thing. I like to cite Jello Biafra, who was the, the ex-lead singer of the Dead Kennedys, who were a huge influence on me. He always said, don't hate the media, become the media. And I think that's been something that not only through the site, but through the, most of my life, I've tried to slowly get a handle on. So instead of hating the television and hating radio and hating all these things, what's happened in the last 10 plus years with technology is that we can become the media. And even within just the last few years with things like YouTube and, and podcasts and iTunes, you said it, I believe, on the previous episode that we're living in one of the most amazing times in human history. We're literally living through a, another Gutenberg era where the sum of human knowledge is at our fingertips and you just have to want to go dig into it. James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com once again, I would recommend that my listeners go and listen to the interview in its entirety on the homepage at CorbettReport.com under the Interviews tab. If you do listen to the rest of that interview, you'll find that James Evan Pilato and I go on to talk about We Are Change and the effect that its members are having in redefining citizen journalism. And of course, We Are Change is an organization that I have featured in numerous previous podcast episodes, as I find it to be one of the most exciting groups bringing real questions to politicians. Of course, We Are Change is on the forefront of this new media paradigm, as well as the various 9-11 truth groups that have sprung up around the world that are continuing to confront politicians on the lies and obfuscations surrounding the events of 9-11. One of the best examples of that, and in fact, probably the best example of citizen journalism that I have ever seen, came from Philly 9-11 Truth's confrontation with Bob Graham. So, of course, I'll put a link to that in the documentation list of today's episode. And that's an excellent example of informed citizens holding a politician's feet to the fire and trying to get real answers on real issues. Turning to an example from Canadian politics, I'd like to listen to a Canadian 9-11 truth group confronting Canadian politician Stéphane Dion on his position about the 9-11 official fairy tale. My name is Michael Hay and I'm part of a group of concerned citizens who came here from Vancouver to ask our questions. And I just want to thank you with deep gratitude that you're willing to talk to Canadians because we tried to ask this question to Stephen Harper and he ran away from us and he didn't say a thing. Um, we've been traveling across Canada and we've talked to Canadians everywhere and we cannot find, we can find very few people who do not want a Canadian investigation into the events of 9-11. You talk about environmental problems, but the truth is that we're a nation at war and war creates tremendous problems, environmental problems, and uh, we are a country that's using and manufacturing depleted uranium weapons, which is an environmental disaster in itself. So how can we address this intelligently if we don't confront the lie that led to this insane war in the first place? It, it defies physics, it defies physics. 
physics to suggest that three towers crumbled to dust because two airplanes crashed into two of them. We know that this is false. It cannot happen. And we want you to state clearly your position on this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I, uh, I will say that everybody's entitled to his or her own view. I think what happened in September, at September 11, 2001 was a terrible tragedy. Uh, Canada reacted with open arms to our American friends. Uh, we were willing to fight, part of, to fight terrorism everywhere in the world. It's not a fight between civilizations, as Mr. Chrétien very clearly explained in the mosque. The first thing he did after September 11 was to go to a mosque. And he said, it's not a fight between civilizations. It's a fight between the civilization of the world and terrorism. And we will win it all together. We may have disagreement about how we'll do it, but we all agree that we will do it. Trust anything you say, provide to us about the big issues. Are we going to our as with much citizen journalism, the interesting thing about that video for me is not the way in which Dion proceeds to answer a question he wasn't asked, namely proceeding as if the 9-11 fairy tale were unproblematically the truth, no, I don't think that's precisely the point of journalism like that. The point is to demonstrate the disparity between the types of softball questions that are usually lobbed at politicians at events like that and real people standing up for real issues in front of the politicians, simply to expose the disparity between what we're subjected to in the corporate-controlled media versus what real journalists are willing to do. So another interesting aspect of that video for me is the audience's reaction, which is strongly positive to someone that they instinctively know is asking a real question about a real issue. And of course also the way the questioner is cut off and refused a chance to ask a follow-up question regarding the non-response to his real question. Of course, one other aspect of that video which you can't hear on the audio is the body language that Stéphane Dion gives off as soon as one of the questioners talks about the Security and Prosperity Partnership. It's some very telling body language, so again, I suggest you go and watch that video on Blip TV by following the link from the documentation list of today's episode. But the questioner in that video was Michael Hay, a member of Vancouver 9-11 Truth. Earlier this year, Michael Hay and other members of 9-11 Truth Groups from across Canada traveled on the Truth Bus all the way to Ottawa, Ontario, where they hand-delivered a petition to Parliament on September 11, 2008, asking for an official Canadian investigation into 9-11. The results of that endeavor is a forthcoming documentary entitled The Truth Bus Movie, which can be found at truthbusmovie.com. In order to find out more about this type of citizen journalism and the documentary, I contacted Michael Hay in Vancouver earlier this week. I started by asking him about his confrontations with Canadian politicians like Stefan Dion and Michael Ignatieff. Well, it's, it's funny with this issue. I think it, you know, it used to be that if, if you asked a 9-11 question that it automatically people would get ridiculed and... and now, 
if you look at people like uh, Dion or Ignatieff, they're they're very guarded now in what they say because it's it's becoming more and less and less comfortable for them to just uh, denounce anyone who would express doubt in the in the, in the official story. But at the same time, they're uh, of course not just will not state their position. So it's quite telling that with this question that how impossible it is to get a straight, honest answer out of these people. Um, so I, I personally think it's effective to, to ask them and, and record their responses and then put those, put those things online so that people can see what, what complete uh, nonsense they're coming up with. Um, it, I think eventually, over time, it just has to erode their credibility to a point where people will refuse to take these people seriously. But for the time being, you know, for the time being, we have to kind of accept that these are these are still the people who are um, pulling the string or pulling the strings in a way, or they do still wield a lot of influence. So change is slow in coming. It's slow in coming, but it's surely coming, I think. Um, certainly the, the new media is rising to displace the old media by asking the questions that the old media just refuses to ask of these politicians and, and recording their non-responses, which is an incredibly important and effective way of getting this information out to people who otherwise maybe just blindly trust the old media. Sure. Yeah, I, I think it's so important. Um, and it's, it, it's really satisfying when when uh, when it works. Um, what I mean, what I, I I look forward to the day. You know, I, I imagine at these kind of town hall meetings, if if somebody were to ask that question, and I, I know when we asked Dion in in Winnipeg, and we were kind of fortunate um, to that things sort of lined up, and he was there and he was accessible because it's so hard to get close to these people. Um, he really it was visibly. Uh, caught off guard a little bit, and he—I mean—he's a professional, and he—he—he he, he of course was able to deal with that situation, but he was visibly uncomfortable. And it would have been, I think, a few years in the past. I think it would have been a lot harder to ask that question and to have a good response from the room. But at that point, there were quite a few people who who cheered the question and sort of gave gave some support to that question. And it's it's becoming rarer and rarer that people. Um, heckle heckle you for asking those kind of important serious questions. So I look forward to the day where somebody will get up and ask that question, and then the entire room, if everybody stands up and and gives their support and and demands an answer, I think you know you will find a leader who will really be be put on the spot and need to give a, give a serious credible answer. Uh, absolutely. And I think it's important to stress that fact that you just mentioned, that people are more and more responding positively to these types of questions being given to the politicians. And I think we can see the development of this movement. I, I'd like to think of the, the real start of the movement, uh, the citizen journalism movement, as a movement being uh, in the conference, the first confrontation that Luke Radowski did with uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski. And, yeah. of course, in that one, it was just Luke Krodowski with his camera asking the question and being heckled by the vast majority of the audience, including, of course, Brzezinski himself. But I think that was part of the, the power of that video was seeing how one man could take to, to really derail the, the, the lies and propaganda that are being pumped out and to put a serious issue in front of a politician. And it was such an empowering moment and I think it inspired a lot of people. And now we see 
people like yourself and people all across the world taking up that that banner and carrying it and more and more people are responding positively to it so i think there is a huge change coming but stepping Absolutely. back for a moment, can, can you address the issue of the significance of this citizen journalism movement and also some of the potential challenges, t- challenges that it faces as the major corporations start to assert their control over the free flow of information across the Internet? Um, well, I mean, I guess, the yeah, the biggest challenge, I guess, is Internet freedom. I, I, I marvel at the fact that, um, I mean, I, I kind of, shudder to think where we would be right now if we didn't have YouTube or if we didn't have um, the, the various video hosting services that we have and that how how much that's done for us in the last few years. Um, if you think of the example of Montebello in 2007, I guess, where um, there were agent provocateurs who, who were outed um, by citizens, by ordinary citizens, and it became a, a case... A, effectively citizen journalism because this ended up on YouTube um, and this it should have really I mean that should have shaken Canadians to the core to to demand to really demand what's going on in this country um, so your uh, your question was about the challenges sorry <laughs> um, the, I mean the, the, we we have to demand a free and open internet and um, that's our our biggest tool Once again, Michael Hay of Vancouver 9-11 Truth. Now, something that both Michael Hay and James Evan Pilato pointed out in our conversations is the importance of video sharing sites like YouTube, Blip TV, LiveLeak, and other flash video-based video sharing platforms in the dissemination of this internet-based citizen journalism. Indeed, it's difficult to imagine alternative news and information being disseminated as widely as it has been without the aid of viral videos. And there's no doubt that a large portion of the Corbett Report's success has come from the viral spreading of YouTube videos that we've made in the past. But of course, the fact that all these major video file-sharing platforms, including, of course, YouTube, which is owned by Google, are again concentrated in the hands of a few powerful corporations, once again we run into the familiar problems of the old corporate media paradigm, where information is blocked, censored, and restrained. Of course, the issue of YouTube censorship should be no news to listeners of the Corbett Report or readers of my articles, including, of course, the September 21, 2008 article from the Corbett Report, Internet Attacks on 9-11 Truth Intensify. Indeed, just type the words YouTube censorship into, ironically enough, Google, and you will find thousands of articles decrying the blatant political censorship that's going on at YouTube. And another example of that came very recently when Warner Music had a falling out with YouTube and demanded the removal of any and all of its music content from any and all videos on YouTube. And the corporate report has been affected by this thanks to an incredible algorithm that they're using, which apparently can detect even a few seconds of background music underneath audio narration, to which Warner Music claims copyright. Of course, this is just the first step in what's going to be a trend of regulating and restricting free speech on the internet in general. And another example of that comes from today's second real news story about the Canadian CRTC, starting to regulate and mandate Canadian content on the internet for Canadian internet users. 
So it's within this context that it becomes obvious that we desperately need an independent video sharing platform which is opposed to this type of censorship through which we can still maintain copies of all the important videos that all of the 9-11 truth groups, We Are Change groups, and all the citizen journalists that are making such a difference out there right now are using to spread their information. One of the people stepping up to the plate in this endeavor is Zeke McCleskey. Zeke McCleskey is the webmaster of NewsX.info, a news aggregate site which collects feeds from dozens, in fact hundreds of websites, and updates every 60 seconds. It's an incredible news site that I suggest my listeners go to, and indeed NewsX.info does carry Corbett Report RSS feeds as well. But just within the last week, Zeke McCleskey launched a new video file sharing service called Veracity Videos, which can be found at veracityvideos.com. Again, this is an exciting opportunity for people in the truth movement to support an up-and-coming video file-sharing platform which is specifically opposed to the type of political censorship found on YouTube. Once again, I suggest that people go to veracityvideos.com, which has an excellent selection and a growing selection of important truth movement documentaries and videos. And, of course, the Corbett Report is willing to support any new video file-sharing platform like this by uploading future videos to the site. Indeed, you'll find that the video currently embedded on the homepage is from veracityvideo.com. Another exciting and important aspect of this video platform is that it offers users the opportunity to upload documentary-length videos, which is extremely important now that Google Video has announced that they are going to stop accepting uploads in the next few months. Of course, Google Video being one of the few, if not one of the only, video sharing platforms which allows for the upload of feature-length videos. So once again, veracityvideos.com is an upcoming website which I suggest my listeners keep their eye on and support as Zeke McCleskey attempts to expand it. But right now, let's listen to a portion of an interview that I conducted this week with Zeke McCleskey about his websites, newsx.info and veracityvideos.com. Sure, yeah. I noticed I noticed months back um, that every time that I would, uh, I would find a new video that uh, people would be sharing through some other alternative media source, um, you know, occasionally you'd run across something that would just be gone. And... Um, it was really frustrating. People would have to re-upload things. And uh, censorship, I just noticed, was starting to become a problem. And then it, it's, it's gotten worse progressively, you know, over the, over the past few months. And now um, the biggest thing that made me push for it at this time, because I had I'd always had, a, you know, had thoughts about making a video website, but what pushed me is the fact that Google announced that they were going to be shutting down. And... We have a lot of the big documentaries are there on Google, or we, you know, they might take them down, but then they're re-uploaded. And um, but we were losing one of our biggest sources for for information. And so I thought, well, I, I should I should go ahead and just push it, you know, make do what I have to do to get it out there, get it started, and get it going. Um, to replace, I mean, you can't really replace Google Video, but um, but I wanted to make something that people could use store their videos to, to be able to come back and watch the videos without the worry or concern of censorship. And because uh, censorship is, is becoming a really big problem. 
and um, and I took a lot of precautionary steps, you know, to make sure that I couldn't be censored. You know, I I build the servers, I host the servers, you know, I built the website. Everything is is here with me, and so I don't have to worry about anyone tampering or censoring any of the media. Well, this is exciting, and we need more people doing this type, taking this type of action and making these types of websites. So definitely I'm here to support anyone who's taking this action, including, of course, veracityvideos.com. And you're right, they are moving to censor the free speech on the Internet right now as we're starting to destroy the lies of the controlled corporate media and break through their corporate-controlled paradigm of information control. So right now, veracityvideos.com is, is a bright ray of hope on the, on the horizon uh, uh, right now. So let, let's get into some specifics. For those out there who may be interested in uploading to, the, to this service, tell us about the ideal technical specifications for videos, um, format, size, resolution, etc. Well, um, obviously, if you take something... If you take a video from uh, YouTube or Google, you can get it in a flash format, which is the, the .flv, and that's going to be the best way to, to put it on Veracity videos because it's going to be the standard format that everyone uses. Um, otherwise, though, it, it can take any kind of video. It can take MP4s, which is the uh, the new standard that Google's starting to use, and um, there is also, you know, obviously Windows Media, um, the Mac has, I think, a dot .move. Uh, we, we accept those. Just about any format we can take. DVD is a little more complicated. Usually you need to get a DVD encoded into AVI or to or to one of the, the more normal, you know, MP4 or the WMV, and those will upload just fine. As far as the quality, I'm, obviously I'm not, you know, we're not going to be as big as Google, so we can't really push towards the high-quality videos as much. I mean, the way I see it at this point, that we really need to focus more on the information and getting as much there and conserving bandwidth and getting as much out to the people as possible to try to keep the bandwidth down. Usually um, 300, 400 you know, kilobits is, is usually a good, that's around a good range, somewhere in there. You brought up an interesting point about people taking uh, videos off of YouTube or um, Google Video and, and uploading them to veracityvideos.com in order to ensure that that information is protected and secured from the censorship of GooTube. So I think it could be, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it could be very informative for my listeners to, to listen to someone explain the process for, for people who maybe have never done that before of taking a, a video down from YouTube and maybe putting it up to your site. So if you could, could you walk through the, the steps that someone who's using, for example, Mozilla Firefox or heaven forfend Internet Explorer might use to, to download a video from YouTube and then upload it to your site? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, I guess that's something I had to learn during the whole process as well. So it's it's really not as difficult as it seems. I, from what I found, the easiest way to get uh, to get a movie off of GooTube or, or just about any of those live leak, um, it works with just about anyone. Is keepvid.com, which is K-E-E-P-V-I-D.com, and all you need is the link to the you know the direct video. Bring that to that site. Put it in. They have a little bar for that. You put it in there, you know, you click the button next to it, and it'll pop up, and it'll give you uh, another link to the exact file to download. And so that download is going to give you the, the .flb file, 
once you have that, you can you can go to veracityvideos.com, and you need to be a member, of course, to upload things. Once you go through the membership process um, and you're logged in, all you have to do up near the top is going to have upload video. Uh, that'll take you to another page, and then it's going to you know it's going to want a title, and then your information tags, the other stuff below that is going to be optional, and then you click next to go to the next page, and then you're just going to uh, Take your file and push upload, and and then it's going to upload it and, and do all the encoding process and show up shortly. Excellent. Well, I think it's important for my listeners to hear that. For for those who have never tried to do that before, I think it would be instructive and informative for you to to at least try it once in order to find out what's involved in that process, because it is extremely simple and easy to do. And yet, it's something that an individual taking action, even at a small level, can can do to preserve valuable information. And I can't stress enough how important that is right now, as GooTube really is moving to take down video after video, and even in the research that. I'm doing for my uh, forthcoming documentary, Al-Qaeda Doesn't Exist, I consistently encounter old YouTube videos, which could potentially be helpful sources of information that are being taken down and are being lost, really. And people think that because the internet is up and running that, of course, so this information is being preserved. But in fact, no, they're actually moving to take down a lot of the information that's even two or three years old. So this is an extremely important and effective way of, of helping to preserve information for the future. We're really looking at a 1984 memory hole type situation. So again, this is important for all of my listeners, and it's a simple thing that anyone with access to the internet can do to help in the info war. All right, so it really, it really is simple. Yes, and and you know, I think people um, should should at least give it a try. And you know, now that you now that you mentioned that, I probably will go through the process of putting. Um, some kind of instructional sheet on my website so people can know how to do it and learn, you know, so it's just, you know, so it's for everyone. So no one's left out. Everyone can help get involved. Once again, I can't stress how important it is to protect these internet tools by which the new media paradigm is having such an effect. If we don't strive to protect these internet technologies, they will be controlled and regulated by the self-same corporate interests who stand to lose so much in not only monetary concern, but also political power by the rise of citizen journalism. It's self-evident that they're going to attempt to restrict and curtail free speech on the internet in any way they can, and we have to preserve and defend the information that's already been disseminated and defend the ability for citizen journalists to upload further information. So one way to do that is to support independent video sharing sites like veracityvideos.com. And the other aspect of that is something that we touched on in that interview and which I would like to reiterate here, and that's the importance of individuals taking videos that they find helpful from YouTube Live Leak, Daily Motion, or any of the other major video sharing sites, and posting them elsewhere in order to help defend against the possible elimination of that information in the future. Once again, this is very real, and it is happening right now. I know it's hard to believe, but it is happening already. Videos on YouTube that are even two or three years old, which I have found online, which could have been very helpful in research that I'm doing for this podcast and for Al-Qaeda Doesn't Exist and various other articles and things that I'm working on, 
are already starting to disappear from the internet. They get removed by YouTube or by the users themselves, and suddenly they are down the 1984 memory hole. So often people are put off by terms like citizen journalism or activism, and they don't consider themselves to be part of that movement. But I would like to challenge each and every one of my listeners, everyone who is listening right now and who has access to the internet, and who thinks there is importance to these videos and the information they contain, I'd like to challenge you, the next time you see a video that you think is important and that other people should see, instead of just passively accepting that video, or even instead of just sending a link to it to your friends, I challenge you to go find out how to download that video from YouTube or whatever site is hosting it, and then post it to another video sharing site. Of course, you can post it to veracityvideos.com or any other site. The point is to get it disseminated widely, dispersed, distributed on a number of different platforms, so it's harder for that information to be permanently removed from the internet record. Again, this is an extremely simple process. It's a process that can be easily mastered even by newcomers after 10 or 20 minutes. And I will post links to tutorials about how to do this so that listeners who don't have time to be doing this type of citizen journalism for themselves can at least be taking an extremely important role in helping to preserve this information for the future. It's an extremely simple process that has an extremely large effect in the info war. So I recommend it, and again, I challenge my listeners just to post one video that they think is important onto another video sharing site. Of course, a lot of what we've talked about today centers around internet-based grassroots citizen journalism, because the internet is such an important and vital way of sharing information. But as I say, there are corporate interests who stand to gain a lot by shifting us off of a free speech-driven internet and onto an extremely regulated internet too, in which every individual is forced to take out a subdomain on a MySpace-like account, which can be censored, curtailed, or removed by the authorities at a moment's notice. That is the unfortunate future towards which we're heading, and which I've detailed in some of my previous YouTube videos. So while it's important, of course, to continue our efforts to spread the info war on the internet, it's equally important to try to get this information out into the real world. To get an idea about how this can be done, as well as commentary on a number of different InfoWar-related issues, I turn now to the man who invented the term himself, Alex Jones. Alex Jones, of course, needs no introduction to my listeners. Suffice it to say, he is the tip of the spear in the fight against the New World Order, and he is InfoWars.com, PrisonPlanet.tv, Infowars.net, PrisonPlanet.com, JonesReport.com, and now the ObamaDeception.net. I talked to Alex Jones at the Infowars Command Center in Austin, Texas earlier this week to discuss the new media paradigm and Infowars strategies, and the results of that interview are now available for download from CorbettReport.com. Also, we've created a new video containing an extract from that interview. And I'd like to ask my listeners' help in spreading that video around the internet. Please spread that link around and get the interview out, as it contains some extremely important information about the new media paradigm. 
But right now I'd like to listen to an extract from a different part of our conversation than is featured in that video, where we discuss some strategies for taking the info war to the streets and numerous other topics. It's a wide-ranging interview, and of course I recommend that all my listeners check it out for themselves in its entirety at CorbettReport.com. But right now, let's listen to an extract of my interview with Alex Jones. And so a point that you touched on earlier is the importance of taking our activism offline and getting it on the street into the real world. Can you speak to that and how people can best go about doing that? Well, I mean, it's a dual system. It's symbiotic. Go out, do the real activism, demonstrate protest. Don't, don't just go protest, uh, you know, the puppet Obama or the puppet Bush or some puppet group. When you go out and protest uh, the front men, the pitch men, you know, point out that they're just puppets and, and, and go out and protest the Federal Reserve. Point out that it's a privately chartered bank. Point out that it's set up a system designed to implode in a dead black hole to take the whole world under its control. Um, go out and protest that your city's being federalized. Go out and protest the militarization of police. Go out and defend the Second Amendment and speak out for it and let people know that they're coming after it. I mean, you know, all of this is just about action. Action is victory. Resistance uh, is victory. And, and, and just understand it's so much fun to get out of the matrix, to stop watching as much television, and to just go out and interface with other citizens. I mean, just wearing an activist T-shirt. You know, I mean, we have some T-shirts at Infowars.com that one side of it is, is a split image of George W. Bush, and on the other side is Barack Obama. They're two faces together as one, you know, one full uh, uh, head and face and eyes and mouth. And on the side of George Bush, it says, worst president ever. And then right next to Obama, it says, until now. And that's culture jamming, of you, for lack of a better term. It's like Robbie the Robot in a false left-right paradigm. He can't compute. And you, you know, because they're thinking you're a right-wing, uh, neocon, extremist, warmonger. If you just say you're against Obama, that's the template, the meme, the program they've been given. But by juxtaposing it with George Bush, they're saying worst president ever until now, the picture of Obama then that'll open up conversations, and you can explain to them. And, and they may not shatter the, the left-right paradigm then, but now you've, excuse me, now you have planted the seeds that will sprout later. Uh, and, and, you know, it's fire and forget. Warn them, get the word out. I saw another uh, British artist has a great uh, graphic he's done, and on one side of the page it shows a skeleton it's my it's my MySpace background right now. On one side, it shows a skeleton, and he's pulling off the rubber mask of George Bush's face. It's a skeleton head sticking out of a suit uh, with uh, you know white Anglo hands pulling off the rubber mask that's about eighty percent off the head of George W. Bush, and it says off. And then next to it, it's a picture of, a, of the same skeleton uh, that, that has imperialist on his lapel in the same suit. He's now pulling on a rubber mask of uh, Barack Obama, and it says on. So they pull off the George Bush mask, they pull on the Barack Obama mask, and that, that, that illustration tells a billion words, not, you know, not a thousand words, not a million words. You know, a, a picture tells a thousand words. 
And, you know, it's so essential. And, and then people say, well, what's your proof of that? Okay, Obama's continuing the rendition, continuing the secret camps, read his executive order. He said he wouldn't appoint one lobbyist or donor. That's all he's appointing, worse than even Bush. He said he was going to bring the troops home in six months, then it was 16 months, now it's 23 months. Now they're talking about even longer. Uh, they're increasing the number of troops in the Middle East and Central Asia. Uh, he said that they were going to cap CEO salaries at $500,000, but when you read all the big banks and brokerage firms that took the trillions and bailout, they're exempt, and anyone that takes any new money, it's, there's no enforcement clause, and, 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 and the executive order says that it is uh, an uh, honor system and that there's no real rules. So this is a den of thieves. There's no honor amongst these thieves. And the system was crashed, again, a 9 to 11% approval rating for Congress, depending on the poll. They needed Obama as the messianic savior to just stall the people and fool the people as a distraction long enough to bring in their total NORTHCOM federalization program. But we're jumping past that propaganda, telling people what's coming next. And so even if they don't listen now, they will listen when they see it all come true, just like we did previously it's our power of prediction, our power of knowing the blueprint, the roadmap, the paradigm, the program, that we're able to lay it out, then it comes true, then our credibility only skyrockets. I think it's important to pause for a moment and reflect on the importance of the citizen journalism movement. This is not a game. This is not a lark. This is something that is extremely important and really is reshaping the society that we live in right now. Citizen journalists are helping to transform the history which we are living through in this revolutionary stage of human development. And yet another example of that comes from today's first real news story, in which listeners to the Alex Jones show taking action and calling the politicians and people involved with the Arcadia exercises that were being carried out by the Iowa National Guard, which, by the way, is now federalized under NORTHCOM. Again, please look into that and the significance of that to understand what's really happening in today's society. But the point is that the people listening to The Alex Jones Show called into the authorities and effected change by stopping these exercises and drills in tyranny training through urban warfare drills. Again, this is just one small example of what a citizen journalism movement combined with grassroots activism can do to affect real change in the real world. We see it happening and taking shape all around us right now, and the most important thing to remember about this movement is that it is not a mere spectator sport. Even taking one video, downloading it, and putting it up on a different video service could really mean in a real sense, preserving that information for the future. Everyone has a part to play in this new media paradigm. This is an important point, and one that, of course, I cannot articulate as well as Alex Jones can. So I'm going to leave today's final word to Alex Jones from the end of our conversation earlier this week. These are some inspiring words, and I'd like my listeners to take them to heart. That's all for today's episode. I thank you for joining me and ask you to join me again next week for another edition of the Corbett Report. Well, let me just say as a, a, a testament to your work and everything that you're doing that quite simply without the Alex Jones show, there would never have been a Corbett Report. So from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for everything you've done so far. And I look forward to seeing the Infowar 
completely displace the controlled corporate media as we witness the, the implosion of the old media paradigm and the reawakening to liberty. So, Mr. Jones, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. And, of course, you're welcome back on the Corbett Report anytime. Well, invite me back on. I'll do it. I'm a big fan of your work. And, uh, and again, you're another testament. I mean, listen, there are the next Alex Jones is out there listening to this, watching this right now. And, look, we need you. You know, you may be black. You may be a woman. You may live in India. You may, you know, you may live in Japan or, or Mexico or Chile or, you know, uh, South Africa. And that's what I'm most proud of is that I don't want to say I invented a new form of gonzo journalism, but I would just go out, you know, 12, 13, 14 years ago with a video camera. I would confront politicians. I would confront world leaders. I would bring up the new world order. I would get arrested. And so many other people then picked up on that. And so many people I talk to that have radio shows or websites or make films say that they woke up because of my work. And that's a testament to what all of you guys, old, young, it doesn't matter, all over the world are doing, you're spawning new freedom fighters and lovers of liberty and a new renaissance. This is history. And so no matter what happens to me, because I'm getting a lot of death threats and a lot of spooky stuff, folks, uh, I think they'll probably just try to set me up, and I pray God that doesn't happen. But know this. Don't be scared when that happens to me, or if it does. I hope it doesn't. Because, uh, you know, this is what I chose. This is what I did. I, I love humanity. We wouldn't have anything we have today if others hadn't fought evil before us. It's a constant struggle. And so from the bottom of my heart, I want to commend the Corbett Report. I want to commend everything you're doing. And I want to challenge others that uh, to not lay down, to, to, you know, to take their destiny in their hands, and, and together we can defeat these psychopaths that control the New World Order. And I do hope folks will visit the Obama Deception. Uh, dot net and uh, check that out as well and, and please make this film be mega viral make it you know be the next loose change uh, the choice is up to you look in the mirror folks absolutely well it's only the actions of all of us together that are going to defeat the new world order and on that note I'll let you get back to your uh, 18 hours of work and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today Mr. Jones thank you and again I only do it because it's life and death people say it's courage it's not it's survival take care Watch it!
but I also want to sh give a, do a video tour of the entire uh, office. Maybe we should hook up a camera with a wireless unit someday so I can just do it live, like Bill O'Reilly says. All right, let's do it live. Uh, <laughs> and everybody's seen that clip. You seen that clip, guys? 